This episode is sponsored by Under Armour and their Infinite Elite Everyday Running Shoe, which I was lucky enough to head out to Barcelona and see being unveiled at its launch and to chat to athletes like Sharon Nakidi, who won the New York Marathon a few years ago, who does all of her easy and steady runs in this pair of shoes. And then we've set Jess from The Running Channel a very specific challenge to train for 12 weeks for her fastest, hopefully, ever 10K, which is also back out in Barcelona. Yeah, she is loving training in this shoe. And I think it's important as well because we're so lucky we get to test lots of different shoes. But we do know that some people just want that one pair that will do everything. So Jess has been doing her long runs, interval sessions, and she will be tackling the final 10K in the Under Armour Infinite Elite shoes. Yeah, big focus on endurance and a brand new foam, which provides extra energy return and looks after you on even your longest runs. So if you want to know more, head to the link in the show notes. You are listening to The Running Channel Podcast with me, Sarah Hartley, my co-host, Andy Baddeley, who still hasn't got 5,000 Instagram followers, and Rick, oh. who is about to try and <sighs> cycle for a very long time. Yeah, and you know what? My bum hurts already. <laughs> Should well, we have got you standing for this record? Yeah, yeah. I'm about to take on a challenge where I cycle from the very tip of North Wales to the very tip of South Wales over a course of four days, taking in 85 miles per day. What am I thinking? Well, My message is stick to running. Well, stick to running, but I mean, how much training? You've done a lot of training for this, right? Because that's quite a lot of cycling to undertake in one go. Should we start the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> You've done no training whatsoever. And until about four days ago, you didn't even know that you could buy specific bike shorts, right? No, but you helped me. And now I've got the chamois cream. You yeah. know, it's Which is chamois cream. Chamois, yeah. <laughs> what is it? Chamois Is it called, not called chamois? No, it's, it's chamois cream. The, the word is chamois. It's just pronounced chamois. Oh, right. All right. Whatever. Yeah. I know. Uh, yeah. This is going to go well. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we got caught up in the pronunciation of cycling-related terms there, but today we're going to be talking about can you be good at every distance, which mm. is a question that we've been asked a few times by lots of different people um, when we've been out on runs or at podcast at channel.com. But before we do that, how's your running been this week, Sarah? Actually really good. Very hot. Very, very warm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You love the heat, right? I hate the heat. It I hate tough. it. It, it. It is so different because we don't really get these long spells of heat in no, the UK. No, it's literally like I went on a run this morning, right? Mm. I am in shorts, short shorts. Short shorts. Because <laughs> yeah. apparently that's the new thing. I'm in a t-shirt. I am dripping, sweating. You're still sweating now am... a little bit. <laughs> you just make her nervous, This mate. is an audio version, <laughs> so we're fine. <laughs> I am running past people in two jumpers. I'm running past people in coats. I'm running past... The, the UK weather is is just so unpredictable. What are you saying? People don't dress for the weather. They no, no, running, as though. in winter ended yesterday and then today suddenly we have to have all of our summer wardrobes. I, I only check the weather because I'm running. I know what you mean. When I see people at the, the train station in the morning and they've got a long jacket on and kind of thick trousers, I'm thinking... Did you not check your weather app? Yeah, you can it's the tell first the first thing people... I do in the morning. Check yeah, the weather app. I feel app. like it's so 50-50 though. I'm like, well, yesterday it was mm. warm, so today it will be warm. <laughs> so you want to see <laughs> Is that you how look... the weather works? Yeah, pretty one, definitely not in the UK. No. And also I think for anyone who's not in the UK right now, we should probably uh 
say that warm's not actually that warm, is it? It's yeah, compared to like in Australia when people are waking up at 3 a.m. to go for a run to escape, they're like yeah. 30, 40 yeah. degrees. And you're like, oh my goodness, it's 18 degrees. It was uh, 12 yeah, but British degrees people party on... when the weather gets nice like yes. this. We just love it. Yeah. We just get outside. My, there is a um, person on TikTok who did an incredible video of what happens to the UK when it's warm. And it's literally <laughs> just like 90 seconds of sketches being like, Pims, does anyone want Pims? Should we go to the beach? Should I get my hat? Should we, should we go out? And art? Oh, it's so, true. It's so true. So true. Like barbecue sales on the rise. Oh, yeah. yeah, that and any piece of green, particularly in London, any piece of green space. Yeah. Just be, yeah and, it's, and it's not even 20 degrees. So it's if, just if you like, stand up Can and you see the sun? Yeah. Should we have a picnic? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and, it, and it's, it's full. But also if you stand up from that spot of grass, you get hit by quite a chill wind because it's not actually that hot. But no. there'll be people in bikinis on, or like in sh- just in shorts with their shirts off, oh, like sunbathing it, in, the, in the middle of the day. Isn't it great? I love this weather. I love it. It's Apart fantastic. from for running. No, it's awful for running. How's your week of running been, Rick? It's been quite intense. So we've been doing this challenge, which we touched on in last week's pod, about trying to work out negative splits and mm. do 5K of negative splits without looking at your watch on every kilometre. It's extremely tricky because it's hard enough if you've got a watch to work out your ne- do negative splits. Yeah. If you haven't like the Holy got Grail, a watch, it? it's incredibly difficult. But then you've got the weather as well. Yeah. So you're getting faster and faster while it's getting hotter and hotter. So my little trick for this was actually I got up very early when the first child woke and the first cuckoo <laughs> cried. <laughs> what time I headed out the door about 5.33 to do the challenge. Yeah. And oh, wow. um, I'm, I won't tell you how it went, but I would say it's it's tough. It's tough to do it without any form of discipline of a watch. Yeah, oh. it makes you realise how impressive elites are when they can. Because you used to be able to just run around a track, bang on to the second, get it right. Yeah, when I was in good shape, yeah, that that was like my coach would sometimes take my watch off me, and he'd be like, "Go and run a sixty second four hundred and I could do it. It's really um, hard. I definitely can't do that anymore. Either run a 60 second 400 or do it without looking at my oh, watch. Maybe we should down. do a video he put, where we... Oh, he puts himself down too much yeah, nowadays. No, don't he worry, does. Andy. We'll take you to the track and we'll go test it. Yeah. yeah. We'll just... Me and Rick will sit on the sidelines with an ice cream. Exactly. And we'll just be like, right, 60 seconds, go. Exactly. I think that'd be... that. I'd, I'm quite up for I'd seeing quite, if I can still do it. I'd watch. <laughs> well, yeah, but you... You did so well on Heart Attack Hill. When you did Heart Attack Hill. Heartbreak Hill, yeah. (laughs) You say you say I put myself down, mainly just to join in, because that's all that happens on the podcast, right? You two putting me down. So I'm like, let's go. Oh, don't act the victim. You give as good as you get. (laughs) (laughs) Well. That's true. Yeah, he's re- he rarely acts the victim. Yeah. Uh, what, are you okay? I'm, I'm, oh. Are you all right? Are you all right? Do you want us to not bully you for got this episode? To, we've got to episode 20. And yeah. <laughs> no, I was also playing the victim. It's, it's, yeah. I'm not playing the victim. I'm just, I'm still shell-shocked from having seen a particular video of Sarah Hartley, age 12, where she was incredible. Her yeah. first ever video where she's on screen talking about running in this a very running channel presentary way, actually, but also yeah. with a wonderful haircut. Right, this is exactly what I'm talking about, Andy. What? Me yeah. giving as good as I get? Yeah. Oh, well, I just got to have these things up my sleeve. Look, we all have mistakes from when we're 12. Unfortunately, I'm young enough that cameras existed. Oh, there we go. See, that's 12. a little dig. Oh, yeah. play, that's playing victim, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hang on. Oh, you knew you were going to be a running channel presenter no. when you were 12. No, no, no. The running no. channel didn't exist no. when you were 12. <laughs> Did YouTube exist? Uh, no. Yeah, it's 2009, wasn't it? What, YouTube starting? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I should look that one up think it was round then yeah it did exist when i was younger but luckily this is not on youtube it's on Yet. my friend's very very privated facebook account um and yeah we if you might have heard of duke of edinburgh's award yes 
this is Arts Award, which is very similar, but it's the creative version of it. So you have to make videos and then you can get like badges and kind of move yeah. up bronze, silver, gold. And for the first version of it, I think we made a music video, <laughs> which will never see the light of day. It was uh, Carly Rae Jepsen's Call Me Maybe, just to put everyone back into that time, oh, time okay. zone. Okay. And uh, I went to an all girls school. So I played the the you man. can tell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, then the following year, we leveled it up, I think, or it might have been, maybe it wasn't for Arts World, I can't remember, but we basically made a video called Science in Sport, not anything to do with not the that, brand, but what? it was, or maybe it was called Science in Action. It was basically going through all of the things in sport that science has backing behind because we were very young and it was just broad science. So, yeah, like, I love it. I think that... The public would love to see this. If you'd like to see it, email into podcast at the morning channel.com. Enough people ask, then we'll, we'll probably do a try to make we'll do it a happen. We'll yeah. do a public viewing. We'll do a cinema. Yeah, I think I'm busy that yeah. day. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Should we talk move on to the topic? To about, yeah. yeah. So this topic stemmed from I had a really good conversation with someone at a run club a few weeks ago, and they were I was talking about my current goal, which I haven't really said out loud yet, but currently what I'm working on with my coach is a sub 20 minute five. Okay, very yes. scary. I do have a race booked in. I'm not sure I'm going to hit it in that race, but that's fine because yeah. I'm trying to knock a minute off. That is fast. That, yeah, it's terrifying. But I was talking to another person at this run club and was saying, that's my goal. And she went, oh, I'm exactly the same. That's like my long-term goal that I'm walking working towards. And then she was like, I can't seem to get that one. I've got a Boston qualifier, but I just can't seem to get this. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm now terrified because my marathon time is 3.49. But actually... I've seen quite a lot of people who will have their full broad range of times in their Instagram bio or on Strava, Garmin, wherever it is. And there is actually some people who really excel towards the longer distances. Yeah. And I say longer, obviously there is 100, 200, like shorter track distances as well. But even between 5K and a marathon, you can be stronger towards either one. So it might not necessarily be that you start at 5K and then build your way all the way up. Yeah. So, I mean, depending on what you're training for and what your background is, like if you haven't done the endurance to run a good marathon, then you could run a great 5k or 10k mm. and be relative to those times much slower at the marathon or yeah. maybe not even able to complete the distance. Um, so yeah, and that that's what position I'm in right now. Like, <laughs> I'm not saying I'd run a great 5k, but I can run a fast 5k relatively. Um, and I'm definitely, I don't think I would even finish a marathon right now. Um, or if I did, the time that I run wouldn't compare favorably to that 5k so it depends on the training that you do but we always worked on the premise that if you're fit you're fit so but that usually tran translated to kind of either side of the distance that you're training for mm -hmm. so if you've done a big block training for 10k then you should probably be able to run a good half marathon um, and a good 5k um, but that might not stretch as far as a good marathon and similarly it's not going to help you run a good 800 meters or mile time yeah um, so it's 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 sort of you'd have to start doing back-to-back -back training blocks to, to be specific at, at different distances and then that shifts your focus it shifts your aerobic anaerobic balance in training and then means that in order to be really good at the marathon from your best possible time you're gonna have to sacrifice a little bit over the 5k um because that's a bit further away in terms of speed you yeah. still need to touch on that speed but uh, it's less relevant and then similarly, if you want to run a really, really fast 5k, you're going to have to sacrifice the marathon. I think as well, like the the harder, the closer you are to your like overall in life red line, the more, the longer you have to put those sacrifices in. So like mm. if you've been running for like four or five years, that might not actually have been long enough to sacrifice at both ends to yeah. get those two times that are 
like comparable to each yeah. other. But I'm interested to know out the three of us, what would you say is your preferred distance? And does that correlate, correlate to the distance that you think is your like best closest to your red line time? Obviously, Andy, I'm guessing, I'm guessing you like shorter distances. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah, well, no, <laughs> funny that, isn't it? Um, well, I, I would always have run as short as possible. So like if I had been able to be a 100 meter runner, then I would have happily had that as my career, but I wasn't fast enough. And then as a kid, you end up stepping up through. So I did do the 100 four by one relay and stuff like that. I did the long jump, which is a sprinters event. And then I did the 800 and found cross country running and stuff like that. Um, and then just had to keep stepping up through the distances because I wasn't quite fast enough at those shorter distances. And then I found the 1500 meters, which was my sweet spot. So running for three and a half minutes. Uh, or sub four minute months for a mile. That was like this this magical thing for me, having grown up in that era of co cram and event in the UK. Mm. Um, so yeah, that, that, those are obviously my favourite distances. But then same logic. If I was running fifteen hundred meters, then I needed to be in good five k shape and good eight hundred meter shape. I know that's not necessarily super relatable to everyone out there because <laughs> I've been running on the track. But yeah, I'd still I still prefer the shorter stuff. If I could just train doing intervals all the time, I would. I love that the longer stuff I find less exciting, but I know I'm going to have to do loads of it for this pending marathon. Is that what scares you about a marathon? That the long stuff, yeah. 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 Just, just my body letting me do it. Like, I suppose it's, my body's taken a beating from doing the faster, harder stuff. But then that means that now when I try to run more slowly and for longer times, that's when I get sore. But if I run a hard five or 10K now, I don't tend to get sore from it in the same way with my knee bothering me. Interesting. Brick? Um, I think I would be red line wise. I think I'm probably better suited to actually running longer distances, so more like 10K. But actually, when it comes to speed work, I'd definitely say 5K. But my situation has definitely changed post-injury. So a bit like Andy was talking about how what his body lets him do. Post-injury, it's all about building it up slowly. So my aim at the moment is to get back to that 10K time by, say, September time. But I, I, no way would I just jump right now from going five to 10 Ks instantly in kind of race pace. There's absolutely no, I, I would have to build build that up to feel comfortable again at that distance. And you, Sarah? I see, this is what I keep wrestling with. Because <laughs> You've asked the question and don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. At the moment, my training is 5K related, yeah. which I think is my weakest one. I think what I'm strongest at is probably half marathon because yeah. it, even though I ha that's the one that I've done the least, so I don't know whether that's what I would say is the strongest, but I think it's the 5K, 10K, it's too short and too hard, <laughs> is, <laughs> is what I find. Like you have to be, I find the like mental battle of, I know I can go faster, but I don't quite understand the like pain cave that you have to be in. But your body's in, your body, your muscle memory, Sarah, is in a good shape at the moment for those longer distances because you've done so many of them in a sh relatively short yeah. space of time. So I think D that's despite why- Despite though, I think some of the medical evidence suggesting actually your body should only run a marathon, one marathon in a year, is it, Andy? People used to play it much safer, but but now with the shoes, I, I don't know quite what the what if the risk factors are as to whether yeah, you, can, you can do more. If it's people do, do run a lot a more bit. now. Yeah. yeah. A lot more easy to recover. Yeah. With the new shoes. I definitely think though, because I've run longer distances, that's why like for me now, if you asked me to race anything, I'd be like, give me a half marathon because mm. it's, it's long enough that you can like recover within it. Get into it. Yeah. And then it, but it's also not 
as long as a marathon in that like I really struggle with that last 12k of a marathon I know everyone does but then I also really struggle with the first 3k of a 5k <laughs> so I think that's why I like a half marathon because the 5k isn't that the first 5k and a half isn't that stressful I think you've maybe hit the nail on the head there the first part of a 5k and then the last part of a marathon like it's just a fundamentally different mindset so the question mm. was can you be good at every distance probably not at the same time so actually at the end of a marathon after a marathon training block you'll then would be in you'd have an amazing aerobic base to then go and run a good 5 or 10k if you throw in some specific additional training yeah but mindset wise the 5k you have to hurt yourself from the beginning you have to like put yourself in a little bit of discomfort even in mm. that first couple of k we've got a video about it where i actually ran a 20 minute 5k trying to talk about running a 20 minute 5k as i was doing it and that's what I was trying to do. So check out that video actually about the mindset of, of the first couple of K. You're almost trying to do a bit of a mindfulness exercise. You don't want to think about the fact you've got 5K to go still. You should mm. be bringing yourself back to like form cues or or just like re relaxation rather than thinking, oh my goodness, I've got four more K at this level of discomfort. Yeah. Whereas in the marathon, obviously I don't know for sure, that first part, the 10K should be relatively comfortable. You're mentally preparing yourself for like the end of it. Mm. Yeah. Whereas in the 5K, you've got to force yourself to dig a bit deeper than you want to in the first 10 minutes. I think it's like the the shorter the race for me it feels like the closer you have to be to perfection like the yeah. the less room there is for error. So like if yeah. in the first 5k of a marathon if I'm not quite on pace of where I want to be that doesn't panic me as much yeah. as if I check my watch 1k into a 5k and it's not what I wanted yeah because I think that's when your your mind then spirals and you're like oh, I don't know how yeah. to recover this yeah well look, exactly that's what I got nervous about for on the track running for three and a half minutes like there's very little room for error so if I miss the break you know when someone goes hard and, and then they get a five meter gap on me yeah then I have to be five meters faster than them in the next mm. 700 meters in that race to catch it up and that's quite a lot whereas in the marathon if you're 10 seconds too fast or too slow at one point like you can easily make that up or, or lose it potentially but i suppose that's at the elite level not a kind of amateur running level which is a, a different mindset isn't it yeah because, but, the, but it's then just if about you... for amateur level you just be well shorter races sooner you finish the quicker you get out of pain <laughs> yeah but then, <laughs> but, but then you need to be able to put yourself if you want to that's the, the the point i suppose if someone truly wants to find their max over 5k yeah it's totally different to trying to find their max over a half marathon or marathon because they have to be willing to to run at their red line um for that real period of discomfort and then to keep pushing and in the 5k you have to keep pushing almost every kilometer just to maintain that pace that you've set so your rate of perceived exertion, how hard it feels, just gets harder and harder and harder. That's why I think actually one thing that I've seen happen over a few races recently that I think is a huge game changer if you can find it. Obviously, this is dependent on who who around you is racing. Yeah. But I know Mo used this. One of his pacers said to him during his three-hour marathon attempt, like, don't look at your watch. Let's forget about pacing. Yeah. Spot that guy or girl yeah. like 20 meters ahead keep them in, in sight and let's see how much closer we can get to them. Yeah. And then, so if you turn it, cause what I would say is the, the plus side of elite racing is that it's not, you're trying to, you're not entering that race necessarily to run a time. You're entering no. that race to be competitive, yeah. which often then equates to you will push yourself right to your max yeah. because there is that element of the like unknown of like, oh, well I just want to overtake that person. Yeah. You either, you either want to give yourself an opportunity to win or you don't. 
Yeah. And so you make that call in your in your mind is like, well, this is my chance to win. And, and the, the time is irrelevant, even if it's faster than you've ever run before in your life, because yeah. you, you either win or you don't. Yeah. So in the like, actually, if you can then translate that into if you position yourself right in a 5K race, for example, and then you get to kilometer three and your mind is spiraling with the times and the what you need to run, actually see if you can spot someone near you who looks like they know what they're doing yeah. <laughs> and they're going to pace the rest of the run right. I would say definitely don't do this in the first kilometer because the chances of getting behind someone who goes oh, off way yeah. too fast are too high. Yeah. But if you can towards the end of the race start to like either pick people off or just yeah. stick with someone yeah. that actually might make more of a difference if the time's stressing you out which actually reminds me of of mantras and people keep asking us about mantras like in mm. whatever yeah. uh, level or distance of race that people are running and i realized that i my two mantras are completely contradictory <laughs> what are completely, they? No surprise to me. Completely, like that, and I say them the whole way through. Wait, what do you say? Go on, hit, hit them with us. Hit, hit Slow and steady them. finishes the race. Faster you go, the quicker you finish. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Do you just on the start just line do those, just do pick the whole one way of through. the two? Yeah, and no, then they change throughout. Oh. One, that's brilliant. And, yeah, and that's it. Uh, anyone listening, that is. Um, direct insight into rick's mind um so have you just got have you got like a goldfish brain where like you yes, forget yeah. what you said a minute ago yeah. so like for two minutes you're yeah, really it's, brilliant it's just packed full of sponge uh, well i <laughs> wonderful well i would leave people with my mantra which is based on opportunity i kind of mentioned it just then is that certainly in the in the shorter distances but i think it applies to longer ones too if you you're in a little bit of discomfort or you see someone in front of you, like Sarah mentioned there, that you might want to latch onto to help you to run the fastest you've ever run before, you're trying to run a PB, then choose to see that discomfort as your opportunity. So embrace the discomfort as an opportunity to do something you've never done before, rather than something where you also have the chance to kind of choose not to do it. So switch that switch in your brain to saying, this is my opportunity, my chance to run faster. You are listening to the Running Channel podcast. Up next, we've got your questions to answer. Plus, we've each picked a new story from the world of running to discuss. Don't forget, this episode is sponsored by Under Armour and their Infinite Elite Shoes. Now, at The Running Channel, we bang on all the time about how if you want to run fast, you need to run slow. I'm talking about the 80-20 rule. Yes, you need to do the vast majority of your training at an easier or steadier pace. And you need an everyday pair of running shoes that you trust to do that. And the Infinite Elite has brand new cushioning technology in the form of Under Armour's Hover Plus. So that's designed to support you for the whole of even your longest runs with extra cushioning and energy return. So that's what this is all about. Yeah, and if you want to check out the Under Armour Infinite Elite, head to the link in the show notes. Almost question time, so stay tuned for that. But first, every episode we pick a news story from the world of running to chat about. So we're going to go to Sarah in a minute, but I just want to say something that made me feel all warm inside, actually. Rick just used the expression, that really warmed my cockles <laughs> when we finished a previous segment of the podcast. So I just want to try and, I'm going to try and use that in my everyday life now. Well, just you... to confirm, that wasn't the content. That was the fact that me and Andy didn't run over time-wise. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, sorry. He was very pleased you with us. You just really warm my cockles when you just hit, you know, hit things on the, on the nail on the head. When we see a little hand action. See the hand action, on. and I yeah. say, right, you've hit the times here. Shut yeah, up. <laughs> shut up. Yeah, Get so on for, with it. For additional context, because no one finds out about this, Rick waves his arms around and with very clear signals to no, us when we need to wrap up. It's, a, it's like I'm churning milk. Yes, he does. He does it. The very we used to have two action. hand signals, but Andy couldn't cope with that. So, so we, we're just back down to one. to one. It was too confused. It was too confusing. But yes, when he wants to wrap us up because he's lazy and doesn't want to have to chop us down in the edit afterwards, <laughs> then that's Absolutely what he does. Absolutely not. Leave them wanting more. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so Sarah, <laughs> what news story have you got for us? So this is in 
this is kind of news, but it's also a question. So Mo Farah, incredible athlete. Yeah. He is coming to the end of his career. This mm -hmm. is his kind of retirement run of races. He's done London Marathon. Then a few weeks ago, he's done Manchester 10K. Yeah. And that leaves him with Great North Run. And then... Then he in is, retirement, he yeah. is retired. He said that he's going to come back and do a few races. But yeah. this, seeing someone kind of bow out of professional sport through different races, I just had a question for you, really, in that from your experience, how hard is it to stop running as an elite? Because like obviously yeah. most jobs, you just go like, right, I've hit a certain age. Gonna, well, that's kind of what I did, yeah. Gonna, no, but but you know what I mean? Like yeah, you, you go strange. to your boss and you say you want to retire and then you put in a retirement plan. How hard is it to retire as a professional athlete? And is there, is there, because this seems like quite a sensible way of doing it. Like people yeah. know he's going yeah, in out advance this year. He's it's in advance. It, yeah. Like psychologically, how hard is it to retire? And have people got it like right and wrong? Like, is, is it hard to do? It's really hard. It's the single hardest thing I've had to do probably um and it was not a I, I didn't feel like I was Mo Farah so I didn't feel like it was something that I would announce to the world or that anyone would care so I broadly just stopped and didn't tell anyone other than the people close to me I was like well I'm done and I'm just not gonna do this anymore um so that's how it happened for me and it happened through injury and, and then having children and not being willing to be as selfish as I needed to be to compete at the level that I knew I wanted to compete at mm. um I'd had the surgery in my knee as well, and I just didn't feel quite as good as I knew I could have been, or, or I don't know what strange use of tense is there, but I didn't think I could get back to where I was before. Mm. So then to spend time away from two young kids and, and like, you know, my wife who supported me through that whole period, I was a bit like, I don't want to do this anymore. So then I just stopped. I spoke to my coach about it first, obviously. Um, and then I just decided that was me. That was me done. And I did get it just, I got enough closure in my final season because I'd had this three years of injury where I'd hardly run at all post-2012, came back to try and run 2016 to try and run the Rio Olympics. Um, didn't quite make it, but I did have two races that in hindsight were enough for me to then switch off and be like, I'm, I've had a good a good go at this. I'm not going to do any better than that. And that was actually in the space of three or four days. I'd had a rubbish year 2016 because I was desperate to qualify for the Olympics and it became apparent quite early that I just wasn't good enough anymore or wasn't quite at that level. And then I ran at Ifley Road, so the home of Bannister's famous four-minute mile back in 1954. Um, and I ran exactly the same time as him, so I ran 359.4. Nice. Um, so I ran under four minutes, which I was I had been nowhere near doing that that year. Yeah. Uh, and I ran it at Ifley Road in the, on a beautiful summer's day. My coach was there with his son, um, and it was a relatively low... Le it was a high level meet in terms of the people that were there, but it wasn't like an international, mm. there was no one in the stands or anything like that. It was just people's friends and family. Um, and that felt really cool. And then three or four days later, I ran a 3K and I ran under eight minutes, which is a big, was always a big target. Um, and then after that, I ran one or two more races, but could see I didn't have it anymore. And then kind of went quietly off into the sunset. That um, must have been hard. That the feeling when you thought that you didn't have it. Yeah, and, and it took me a long time. When I stopped, I didn't run ready for a year at all because I didn't really want to do it. I'd done this thing that I'd been good at as a youngster. And then when you're good at something, it's fun. Like mm. that kind of those two things going, and then it's fun, so you become even better at it. And then it becomes your job where it's like you've got to do it every day and you have to get up and run 12 times a week and do three gym sessions and go to the physio and then do all the rehab and the stretching and you can never switch off. So then when I stopped, this amazing, this amazing weight was lifted from my shoulders where 
didn't have to do it. So I just decided not to do it until I kind of wanted to again a year later and sort of started getting back into it again. <laughs> I was just listening. I was, listening. I was just really nicely <laughs> yeah. listening. Is it ever something you thought about in your career? Did you ever think of a retirement plan? Or was it literally just keep setting goals until you can't? No, I think I think probably my only retirement plan would have been this assumption, this ego that like I was going to achieve enough that I would then get to announce my retirement in some way. Mm. Um, like Mo obviously merits the idea of people caring when he retires, but I just didn't feel like that was the case for me. I'd sort of been off the scene for a few years and people forget in athletics so quickly or in elite sport in general. The Olympic finalist 2008, nearly Olympic finalist in 2012 and running at a really high level, but then you really quickly get dropped from lottery funding and sponsorship and whatever else it might be. And then you're just not racing. So no one cares and no one from British athletics ever reached out to me to find out like what I was doing or anything like that. So you go from being at the Olympics to literally no contact with anyone other than the people yeah. in your close circle. Because people amazing. hammer, you know, young footballers and and football in general for not supporting players when they get dropped from clubs when they're 19, 20. Yeah. But actually, you know, in other sports, it's kind of just as bad in most of them. Yeah, so I don't know. There's a lot more awareness of mental health and, and transitioning mm. athletes into into kind of future sport. I was lucky that I had the help of the Dame Kelly Homes Trust, actually. So they helped with a kind of course that helped me as I was injured and so on. I was started to think about retiring and I never thought I'd be doing the running channel. So that's something, but that did directly come out of that course, really. They encouraged you to think about how you could build something around your skills. Like I would say that the skills that I had were uh, work ethic, for a start, like you obviously worked really hard and you were used to putting the, a shift in. Uh, but then coordinating like a bunch of people around me that were my team as an athlete mm. um, and hopefully motivating them in different ways and working with lots of different personalities. So then I used that to then uh, with what we're doing, what I ended up doing basically after that. And that's what he does now, Sarah. He coordinates us with a bunch of emails along the lines of, Rick, whatever you do, don't come to work today in leggings, please. <laughs> that is true. Yep. And Sarah, please get leggings. out a video of you 12 years 12 old. 12 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll all watch it. Yeah. That's what it all came from. So thanks very much to them. Um, so yeah, it's hard. <laughs> it's, it's hard. It's hard to transition. And um, like, I think Mo having competed at that super high level will, will find it difficult. And that's why Dame Kelly Holmes set up her trust because she was an Olympic double medalist and then stopped running. And then what did she do? And I think she struggled with that. So I'm wishing him lots of luck, I guess. Thank you for sharing. That was really, really interesting. Up next, we've got your questions. Well, my cockles are well and truly cold now, you two, because Andy <laughs> took absolutely so ages to get through that segment. Hey, that was a good bit it of news. It was good. It was fascinating. Which you made why the mistake of asking me up. about myself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let's, not, let's not do that next week, yeah. shall we? Right. So... Let's talk about Phil's question. But first, let's thank Phil, because Phil <laughs> tells us where he's from. Hey, <laughs> yes, where's Phil. Phil from? He's from Misterton. I don't yeah, know where he that is. He didn't give you any pronunciation guide, though, did he? Misterton. Yeah. Well, that's I'm, a nice... That's I'm sure it's... Rolls I've never heard like nice. UK. Yeah, Misterton. Loving the podcast, he says. My question is about pacing. Everybody says start slow. However, I'm more comfortable starting fast. I love this. I recently PB'd my 5k at 19.19. Wow. Oh, top effort. My top. first split was 3.41, then 3.55 for the remainder. This pattern continues in all distances. My first split is always quicker. Should I concentrate on reversing this or carry on as I am? I'm just laughing because this is everything we ever tell everybody <laughs> not to do. Yeah. Phil is basically has just ignored us for the last few years. Yeah, he's and now he wants us to validate it and say, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Which yeah, actually yeah. I, I might be about to do. Um, oh, really? Oh! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, some, some controversy here. So, Andy, don't oh, you sign careful, off our scripts? Andy. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. But there's something about the first 
say 20, 30 seconds of a an effort that, that from an energy expenditure percent, percentage make, make very little difference. There's a difference here between going a little bit too fast in the very first K of a 5K, where most of that time you've gained probably in the first one or two minutes mm -hmm. versus someone going crazy fast for the first two or three miles of a marathon. Like the, I think there's a big difference there. So mm -hmm. like if, if you just get off the line and you, and I'm biased here because this is how I would somehow approach my training sessions and it, it drove some of my training partners mad. They would like to get off the line in a rep, an interval where we're supposed to run a specific time and gradually build up to the pace and then, and then run that pace or even go straight off the line at that pace. Whereas what I always ended up doing possibly through slight lack of pace judgment was for the first 30 seconds or so, first 200 meters, I would always be slightly too fast. And then I would kind of back down right. onto the pace that I wanted And that was to... your tactic? Yeah. And, and it was just, it was how I felt comfortable running. And because you do have that extra adrenaline at the beginning, in the shorter distances, I think like 5K, I don't think that what he's saying there is an awful idea. I would say that Phil is obviously very fit. Yes. Uh, if he's running those kind of times. This and I is think what I was going to say. This works if you are doing all your training and you are in good shape and you're probably doing some strength work and your body can hold yourself together. Yeah. If you are able to run a first split at 341 and then go to 355, if your body can hold that up, I would say yes. I would say for the vast majority of people, this is a, a bad idea. Yeah, I would say... Yeah my advice would be is if you're really dialed into pacing you've yeah. spent like a long time training and you prefer doing that then it's that that's not a terrible idea but i have there are yeah. there is video evidence of me doing this yes. <laughs> and it goes very wrong but i think that if you if you don't have an understanding of pacing yeah. and if you're not like really dialed into where your red line is and what's going to be too fast then it's much safer to go off conservatively and then make your last kilometer your fastest 100 percent. sarah's hit the nail on the head phil sounds pretty experienced to be fair if he has that knowledge to be like well and then i held 355 for the remaining 4k if you know that you can do that uh because you have you're dialed into it mm. and then i don't think that's a bad tactic but yes sarah that's what we've almost worked on isn't it like you're propensity to go too fast in the first K has then cost you so much time towards the end of it that you haven't got that experience to kind of hold on to that pace. Yeah, so much so that for my 5K race that I'm currently preparing for, I'm literally planning on going out by myself and just spending 10 minutes like on a non-running day yeah. where I start my watch and try to hit four minute K pace within so 10 perfect. seconds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because, <laughs> because, I, because I know that I don't have... I think if you're, what I would actually want to know from Phil is that if he if he would be happy to do this, I would love to know if he took that PB pace and started off dead on that pace and then tried to negative split it. Could he go could faster? He go could faster? he go faster? Because yeah. that's the other thing. Like yeah. if you start, if you make that first K your hardest, then you're clinging on in that last uh, K. Whereas I'd say that's, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, the suggestion is though that he he, he probably couldn't because he's going all out. But you don't. But psychologically, yeah, you're not you gonna know? you're not gonna hit your red line in that first K, regardless. I see what you mean. So like, if if you then reverse it in that last K, could that actually have been a three thirty nine rather than a three forty one? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Like Phil, write us right in, write to us again and, and let us know. <laughs> let's and, do challenge, Phil. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's see how he goes. But it's it's interesting. I think anyway, in the eight hundred meters, for example, to take it to an extreme at the Olympics or the World Championships, so really highest level, their first lap is all unless it's tactical. The way that people run a world record of the fact is they they just start as hard as they can broadly in a controlled way and they get slower every 
200 meters. So actually the last 200 meters and the 800 meters at the Olympics, uh, men's and women's, I think, is the slowest last 200 meters of any distance race. So the last 200 meters in the 1500, 5K, 10K are all faster because of the energy systems at play. And so I've gone off on a massive aside here, but it's, it That's can work. Let us know. Email in podcast at the running channel.com. Do you negative split or positive split? And are you willing to try the other way around? Let us know. Yeah, Email be, in if you try it. Be flexible. So you've been listening to the running channel podcast. Could you do us a small favor and leave us a review and write, rate the podcast if you like it. Sarah's less less kind of equivocal about it she's like yes you must do this unless you don't like it in which case review someone else (laughs) (laughs) nice okay thanks we'll see you next time bye bye this episode was brought to you by under armor and their infinite elite everyday running shoe which has a focus on both comfort and endurance so an ultra springy responsive feel that protects your legs and keeps them feeling fresh which is what jess has been putting to the test as she's been training for over the last 12 weeks for taking on her ultimate ever 10k and she's been focused on consistency so being able to show up with those fresh legs every day and every week in order to put in the work and the recovery that she needs to do to run her best if you want to check out the under armor infinite elite head to the link in the show notes